This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at reyrey.com slash used cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash used dash cars. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, December 11th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Jake Neer in Detroit, in for Kellen Walker. Today on the show, new vehicle inventory grows again in November. Penske Automotive looks to expand in the UK. And battery startup Arnext Energy replaces its founder with a new CEO. Plus, Mazda CEO Masahiro Moro joins the show to talk about demand for electric vehicles and what it means for the automaker's electrification strategy. From Bartley EV point of view, certainly very slow compared to everybody anticipated or regulation indicated. But looking at the hybrid or others, uh, consumers' demand is there. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. New vehicle inventory in the U.S. rose by 100,000 in November to about 2.5 million vehicles. Cox Automotive estimates that automakers started December with about a 70-day supply of vehicles. The total represents a gain of about 890,000 vehicles over a year ago and dealers' fullest new vehicle stocks since early spring 2021. Cox calculates day supply using the last 30 days sales rate, which it said was running about 15% above the same period a year ago. All seven automakers that report monthly U.S. sales saw their day supply increase in the previous month. That's according to the Automotive News Research and Data Center. Among them, Ford has the highest day supply, while Subaru of America had the lowest. Industry analysts say there are economic signs that an auto pricing precipice may be near. Last month, U.S. auto sales were up about 9% year-over-year, but analysts and executives say that pricing and interest rates are keeping some potential buyers out of the market. Tyson Jomini is vice president for data and analytics at J.D. Power. He says there are still an estimated 2 million sales on the sideline because of a mix of inventory, pricing, and interest rate issues. By this point, consumers should, should start returning Affordability is, is a lot in the news and it's an important topic. The number of under 35 buyers continues to trend lower, uh, which is really pointing towards an affordability issue. Jomini said November results were buoyed somewhat by sales and special incentives offered on Black Friday. Penske Automotive Group says it has signed an agreement to acquire Rybrook Group, which represents about a billion dollars in annual revenue. The deal is expected to close in January. If completed, the acquisition would include four BMW dealerships, four Minis, four Volvos, two Land Rovers, and one Porsche dealership. Penske says it has cleared certain regulatory approvals for the deal. It says it will fund the transactions using existing liquidity and subject to what it calls customary conditions. Battery startup R-Next Energy has replaced founder and CEO Mujib Ijaz. That's as the company faces a failed funding round and cash crunch. One has installed board member Paul Humphreys as CEO. Ijaz is a battery engineer who worked at Ford and on Apple's secretive electric car project. Humphreys is a veteran of contract manufacturer Flex. He took over that role last week, but has been informally overseeing operations since Thanksgiving. 
iJazz says he voluntarily stepped aside and recruited Humphreys for the job. He will remain with the company as chief technology officer, overseeing product development, and serve as vice chairman of one six-member board. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, inventory is still steadily on the rise, but meanwhile, we're hearing these concerns from analysts about pricing and demand. I'm curious, could this be a bad mix of conditions heading into 2024? Maybe bad for some people. Certainly good news for consumers, at least to the extent that inventories will have dealers competing, competing with other dealers in the same brand, competing against other brands. Pricing should become a little more favorable for consumers, but, you know, higher prices to begin with, uh, with all the technology that's in the vehicles makes them, you know, more challenging for more consumers, and that's tougher on dealers. Uh, We'll see how the interest rates play out. You know, maybe they've peaked, and we'll see if they could start coming down next year. That would certainly help uh, facilitate some deals. We've seen automakers overproduce in the past. Are we heading in that direction again? It, it sure kind of looks like it, right? Uh, inventory had been up around 3 million. It fell as low as a million during the pandemic. You know, we went to 2 million and maybe that seemed like a good level. Now we're up to two and a half. Uh, it's hard not to think that they aren't racing back toward overproduction, which has been the industry's bane for decades. Certainly some interesting trends to look for as we head into the new year. That's for sure. Coming up, Mazda CEO Masahiro Moro talks about why he and his company are intentional followers on EVs. That's next on Daily Drive. Lack of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade-ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up-to-date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit rayray.com slash used cars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate, and more profitable decisions. That's rey.com slash used dash cars. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. 
and we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Jake Neer. When Masahiro Moro took over as global CEO of Mazda in June, the automaker's upward momentum toward record U.S. sales was a blessing largely of his own doing. Previously, as chairman of Mazda's North American operations, he helped overhaul U.S. retail operations and championed larger platform vehicles such as the CX-90 that are now powering growth. Moro expects the Hiroshima carmaker's success to continue as he tackles the next challenge of rolling out the engine-proud brand's first dedicated electric vehicle platform and transition it toward 2030 when Mazda expects to derive up to 40% of global sales from EVs. Moro spoke with Automotive News Asia editor Hans Greimel in Tokyo. Mazda is doing very well in the United States now. Um, it's on track for record sales. Can you give us an idea of where you imagine uh, sales being uh, next year and then again in maybe 2025? Record sales are in the, in the target, right? Right. Well, this year, 2023, we are tracking to best ever uh, retail sales quarter. So that is good. Uh, 2024, I don't have a special figures, you know, but MNEO, uh may set up the target of uh, 400,000. That is my anticipation. So 2025, I don't give a specific number for US, but as a North America, we'd like to achieve the uh, cross to 600,000 units. Right. And I think you said that maybe uh, Canada and Mexico Mexico is also getting record sales, but maybe they, those combined make 150,000, meaning that United States would have about maybe a how much in 2025? Well, Mexico and Canada all together, I, uh, I anticipate 150,000 plus. So if you calculate math, that is a 450,000. Right. And what that's a pretty amazing figure for Mazda, and it's getting there almost without any electrification. What does that mean about consumer demand for for vehicles in in the United States uh, in terms of electrification versus what Mazda has to offer? Well, U.S. consumers are you know a prefer high power and long range that fit to their lifestyle, and we always provide solutions that fit to our customers. We introduced a plug-in hybrid with a CX-90. That is a first electrification uh, product, which is, has received pretty well by our consumers. So from now on, Batley EV will be taking off. But still, I want to watch customers' actual needs and wants and provide the best solution for customers. Do you think in 2025, what will, what kind of electrification will you actually have in the U.S. market? Well, we already have the CX-90 plug-in hybrid. Maybe by then we have the CX-70? Yes, we do have CX-70. Uh, we plan to introduce that sometime, you know, next calendar year. 
And together with CX70, we plan to have a CX50 hybrid. So those are new products we, we plan to introduce next year. And the CX70 will be a plug-in hybrid like the CX90. Yep. And the CX50 will be a traditional hybrid based on the Toyota system, is that mm-hmm. right? That's correct. Okay. In, let's say, 2025, how much electrification sales or percent do you think you'll have in the United States from that 450,000? Well, that is a quite good question. I don't have pretty solid figures because a customer is looking for the best solution out of a new solution, uh, which is available, becomes available in the marketplace. But right now, 690 plug-in hybrid is kind of similar to 50% of take rate. That's probably twice as high as we anticipated. Hybrid, we anticipate at 20, 25%. But let's see how customer, you know, respond to our technology. A hybrid meaning 20 to 25% total of uh, Out of CX50. Out of CX50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Wow. Do you think that uh, the consumer demand for electrification is slower, just generally speaking, for the uh, overall industry is slower than expected then in the United States? Well, from Batley EV point of view, it's certainly very slow compared to everybody anticipated or regulation indicated. But looking at the hybrid or others, as I said, uh, consumers' demand is there. So you are preparing to have this new uh, dedicated BEV platform uh, launched sometime between the 2025 to 2027 timeframe. Can you tell us about that? I think you mentioned that it's going to be a little bit, this rollout will be uh, in that timeframe, but a little bit slower rollout than expected just because demand is uncertain. Is that right? Uh, th- that's generally correct. We'd like to set up the preparation right. Uh, we have, you know, studied a lot of time. Now many studies are put into one uh, organization that we set up as an e-master, uh, November. Now we are evaluating and finalizing the plans. Uh, so I hope timing will be in the phase two to hit the market for Batley EV with a new platform. But deployment and the volume we develop is up to the actual demand. And at this point, it looks a little bit slower than you expected. Is that correct? That's correct. I see. And where do you plan to make that first EV? And what are the plans for eventual uh, North American production? Well, we'd like to start a uh, Batley EV production in Japan as our home market because I will make sure technology is right in your hands. So, and eventually extend our footprint in North America which is we call the phase three, which is the 28 to 2030. Right. And by 2030, what is your target for overall electrification globally and maybe then North America? Uh, we said a 25% to 40% of the range that we anticipate about the EV at 2030. Right now, looking at, you know, uh, overall situation, I would say uh, maybe a little bit low side of that range. And in North America or U.S. is kind of similar, 25 to 30%. Okay. Overall, do you think that the industry, not necessarily Mazda, but just the industry in general, over-invested or was too optimistic about EBEV demand in recent years? 
I wouldn't say optimistic or overinvested. Nobody knows about the real demand because this is a significant transition because the last 100 years we have invested into internal combustion engine. This new technology uh, seems to be a big wave, but consumers' reaction uh, looks like a little prudent. And then the final question would be, Mazda is investing a lot of uh, money into these new platforms. It's a big investment that they could drain on resources. But one critical aspect of this transition is also the software and the electronics. What is Mazda's strategy for adopting the software-defined vehicles? Well, in the past, they almost we invested in hardware. But now software is going to be a critical or electro architecture is critical. And this requires significant resources and, and, and a lot of a different type of engineers. So we decided to work with the other companies in collaboration with, uh, you know, so for example, Toyota is one important partner to develop those software and electric architecture. That is, we are uh, jointly develop. Uh, it will give us a greater saving and, and a better, you know, uh, architecture, uh, which is a competitive in uh, in the world worldwide market. And when Toyota comes out with its Airin uh, operating system for vehicles, Mazda plans to adopt that then. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you said that what percent of the total electrical and software systems will be common between the two? brands, let's say, in mid-century, like 2026 and onward? Well, basically, that architecture's 90% are in common, which is a necessary, you know, part. And each individual, you know, brand, unique, will be uh, maybe less than 10%. Wow. And you said, I know you don't want to be specific with numbers, but you gave it an impressive comparison to show how much money Mazda can save by that. How much... About how much money uh, could you save enough to develop? I think this is a calculation on the desktop, right? Okay. So, yeah. but if you develop complete new car, two new cars, that is the uh, significance of savings you may earn out of this collaboration. Okay. And uh, is there any final word to you? Is there anything you'd like to say, especially maybe to the dealers in the United States? Because sure. I know that they're. Uh, going through a big uh, transformation right now and their profit per vehicle is going up and their throughput is also increasing. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the retail strategy. Sure. During my tenure as a CEO of North American Operation, for months in the North American Operation, I put, uh, you know, all that effort to revitalizing the network and the significance of achieving the best ever retail sales record is with them because they are invested into master business. They're really engaging to master brand value management. I really appreciate their partner, indispensable partner with us. So I'm looking forward to working with them to further, you know, grow our business and for them to sustain lucrative business with master. And you've achieved average throughput per, I guess is dealer, mm-hmm. of 1,000 units per year? or Per year. Per year. Um, and you yeah. want to increase that to, what's a lot, what's the target then? Do you think that's sure. achievable? Well, as long as I understand, last six months, 
the retail evolution dealers, uh, which they invested in our next generation branded dealer, they are almost achieved, you know, a thousand units per annum. So the pace is there. And I encourage them to go over a thousand, achieving a 1200 units in, uh, in their respective community in the market. When do you think they can do that? Well, as soon as possible. <laughs> Fair enough. Masahiro Moro is the CEO of Mazda. He spoke with our own Hans Greimel in Tokyo. You can read more about Moro's expectations for Mazda in the pages of this week's Automotive News print edition or at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer in for Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News journalists Larry Veliquette and Gail Howe for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, inventories, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with UpLab's president, Caitlin Foley, about the thinking behind the company's Venture Lab, which custom-developed startups for companies including Porsche and Alaska Airlines. A lot of the fun that I have is trying to find unarticulated problems inside these companies. And that's a lot of what we spend time doing is finding something that looks off where we can bring that to the company's attention. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, you're right. That's that's exactly the aha moments that we're looking for. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.